Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emard Continuing Chapter 40 Insensibility of Heart It is a matter of necessity that one should have a heart that is alive to God. Why should the Creator have endowed us with feeling if not in order that we might use it in His service? It is the life of the Spirit of Faith. The Lord said to the Jews, I will take away your stony heart and will give you a heart of flesh. The Jews had stony hearts because they led an entirely external life and found their reward in the joys of the present. But the Lord gave to Christians a heart of flesh, sensitive to the divine life and capable of being united to God, to the eternal word. Now the word is active only in hearts which resemble his own. He is spirit, and he speaks only spiritually and by faith. For this reason, our heart, our soul, must ever be in our hands, uplifted to God, that this divine artisan may fashion it according to the divine model, giving it the impress, the life, and the movement of his own. Our heart must be to the hand of God, like soft, moist clay in the hands of the potter. In terms such as these, the Lord curses the earth in Holy Scripture. It shall be arid, the rain shall not water it, nor shall it yield any more to the plowshare. When he blesses it on the contrary, he says, The rain and the dew shall fertilize it. In like manner, God waters the soil of our heart, makes it fruitful with the dew of his grace, causes it to swell with the warmth of his love. Thus he renders it susceptible to all the influences of his love. The first effect of sensibility of heart is to make us more quickly aware of God's nearness, to cause us to hear his voice more clearly from afar and more joyfully, and to keep us beneath the influence of his loving presence. Sensibility makes the heart turn more easily toward God, more by feeling and by instinct than by reason. The more completely one gives oneself to God, the more sensibility and tenderness of feeling one will have. It is not a question of shedding tears in more or less abundance. No, sensibility and tenderness of heart are something mysterious. We do not define them. We feel them. They are the surest sign of grace. On the other hand, as one goes farther and farther away from God, one's fineness of feeling diminishes. One leaves the company of the king to mingle with the vulgar crowd. Instead of contemplating God, one's eyes are fixed continually on creatures. Alas for him who thus falls! Sensibility has the effect, secondly, of moving us to pray inwardly. Vocal prayers are no longer adequate. However holy they are, they do not quite satisfy us. For now the heart needs to be nourished constantly with new sentiments. It desires more and more complete detachment, wishes to mount ever higher. It feels the need of living with God by meditation. Thus we must have a sensitive heart for the service of God. We need it because we are weak. It is a presumptuous doctrine which rejects feeling 
and teaches the soul to go on its way without enjoying God. It is true, we must not seek enjoyment of God as our goal. Besides, if you should rest too long in it, you may be sure God will know how to draw you away from it. But if you feel yourself led on, if, while you feel the heart of Jesus near your own, you are truly making your way upward, oh, how fortunate you are! Pray for this grace. It is a strong and trusty staff to help you on your way. I do not like to hear people say, My tent is pitched on Calvary. If you stay there weeping, it is well. But if you remain unmoved, it is pride that keeps you there. Who are you, pray, that you want to do without the sweet and easy means the good God has so mercifully placed within your reach? But alas, now that children are made worldly wise even at seven years, they become arrogant and pedantic because their mind finally gains mastery over their heart. On the other hand, note in the Gospel that when Magdalene and the holy women wept, Jesus, far from reproving them, consoled them. If God has given you a sensitive heart, let it feel then and enjoy Him. But tenderness of heart is usually the reward of sacrifice. In case the Lord makes you travel that road, submit, but let Him do it in whatever way He wills. God wants our whole heart, but we are afraid to make a complete gift of self. We say, I would rather have suffering. Sloth lies at the bottom of this sentiment. We do not want to abandon our own will entirely. We want to choose our suffering being afraid to let the good God choose for us. Oh, let your hearts turn with constant tenderness and affection toward God, especially in your prayers. We are not happy enough in our Lord's service. God would like to communicate the sweetness of His grace to us in greater abundance. Accept it then with confidence that you may be happier in this world and in the world to come. Chapter 41 the purity of the life of love. Create a clean heart in me, O God. Psalm 51, verse 12. There is one virtue without which all others are as nothing, and that is the virtue of habitual charity, the habit of the state of grace. This virtue we absolutely must have if we are to please God and live in Him. The state of grace is necessary that we may have the power of the apostolic as well as of the contemplative life. Without it, all graces are like diamonds lost in the mire. Do we think we are offering to God a sacrifice of pleasing odor when we offer Him a corpse? Yet what else are we if we are not in the state of grace? The state of grace is necessary in order that God may love us and grant us His grace. Assuredly, God does not love us because of any merit on our part, and He has no reason to love our works insofar as they have their source in us. What are we in His sight? And what good can come from a body and soul stained with sin? A little natural good at the most, 
but nothing supernatural. When what God loves in us is His grace, the reflection of His sanctity in hearts that are pure, that is enough to satisfy His gaze. Does not God love a child after its baptism? Yet it has no acquired virtues. It is pure, however, and in the state of grace. God sees himself reflected in the grace which adorns its heart and takes pleasure in the perfume of the fragile flower while he awaits its fruits. In ourselves, too, God loves above all the state of grace, the state of purity we acquired by being washed in the blood of Jesus. The state of grace is our beauty. It is the reflection of Jesus Christ in his saints. As the Father sees himself in his word, so Jesus sees himself in their souls. But if the soul is stained with sin, it is impossible for God to be reflected therein. Evil is never lovable. And when we are guilty of sin, God cannot love our state. In his goodness and mercy, he first purifies us, and not till then does he show his love for us. Not till then can we bear his gaze. Our first motive, therefore, for guarding the state of grace is that it makes us loved by God and renders us pleasing in his sight. Then what of you who come before Jesus so often to kneel in adoration? Do you want him to see an enemy in you? Make your soul reflect his living image if you would have him receive you with pleasure. The first thing you should do when you come to a door is to drive the devil away by taking holy water and making an act of contrition. That is only fulfilling the duty of cleanliness to which rich and poor alike are obligated. Indeed, if our faith were strong enough, we should not dare enter the church when we have a sin upon our conscience. Or rather, like the publican, we should stand far in the rear but then we should never enter the church. Yes, enter, but first cleanse your soul. I find that the sinner who says, I do not dare go to church and appear before God, has a true sense of what is fitting. He is wrong, of course, in not having recourse to the sacrament of penance, but his fear is well-founded. Habitual charity, or the state of grace, ought to be our most cherished virtue. See what the thought of the church is in this regard. Although her priest is considered holy because he represents Jesus Christ and because he is about to reenact the miracles the Savior once performed, the church makes him pause at the foot of the altar, bow down, and humbly confess his sins. You come to adoration to do the office of the angels. Be pure like them. He offers an insult who comes to adoration with an impure conscience. Does not the scripture say, But to the sinner God hath said, Why dost thou declare my justices and take my covenant in thy mouth? Be pure, therefore, if you want to adore. Shall a soul that exhales an odor of death dare to appear before Jesus, who is so pure? I pray you not to be so contemptuous of our Lord as to come to adore him when your conscience is laden with sin. This has been taken from 
Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emard. This and other books by St. Peter Julian Emard, the Apostle of the Eucharist, are available through MMR Publishing. For more information, call toll-free at 1-877-395-2320.